0: Welcome everybody out there in uh, the internet land. We're very excited to be here with Jay Stringer, licensed mental health counselor, and we're going to talk about something that to the best of my knowledge nobody's talking about. What happens when you mix unwanted sexual behavior and temptation with the power of a leader's C-suite? We're gonna find out, so join me. Uh, so Jay, it's so good to be with you today and uh, we're here in the Convene Studios and we're very excited to be with you talking about something that I don't think is being talked about a lot. So welcome.
1: Not nearly enough. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. An honor to be with Convene.
0: Thanks. Yeah. It was exciting to see Outreach Magazine picked your book uh, Unwanted. Uh, as resource of the year in, is it counseling? And relationships. And relationships, uh, I think just last week. But you're a licensed mental health counselor, Mm -hmm. an ordained minister, and you've done some groundbreaking research where you've surveyed 3,800 men and women for your book, Unwanted, helping people use their sexual brokenness and find out that it reveals a way to healing. So let's talk a little bit about some of the statistics. There's some really... um, I would say devastating statistics that maybe CEOs are ignoring. Certainly, I think the world is somehow ignoring. I don't know how it happened, but I think the world is ignoring the fact that pornography use doubles the chance of divorce. Porn sites have more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Speaking as a business leader, I wouldn't mind running a $97 billion operation but not this porn industry. That's a $97 billion industry. 60 to 70% of people in the world are using pornography. Mm -hmm. 57% of pastors struggle with it. Pastors are resigning. CEOs are resigning. Chairman of the largest law firm in the country caught sexting with a woman he did not know. Christian men's ministry founder caught sexting. Politicians caught sexting and in jail. Hollywood casting couch being used for uh, sexual favors to gain roles in films sports team owners visiting massage parlors. How did we get here? I don't know but you've done some work that yes. basically says uh, Your faith alone Jesus alone memorizing scripture alone. It's not enough. So let's talk about
1: exactly. It. Yeah So when you look at just the stats like that, I mean sexual brokenness has become dangerously ubiquitous in Mm -hmm. our world, and yet the primary Christian approach that we have attempted to address it is just what I refer to as lust management. And so this is the classic uh, bounce your eyes from sexual temptation. If you're having an inappropriate sexual thought, slap a rubber band around your wrist. And then if you continue to struggle, part of what we advise is get into some form of accountability and get internet monitoring on your computer. And while some of these efforts do help curb unwanted sexual behavior to a small extent, uh, as one of my friends put it recently, he said, Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner for 15 years, something just isn't working. And so that's, you know, as a therapist, as, as a minister, part of what I realized is unless we radically change this conversation we are going to continue mm-hmm. to consign men and women to a lifetime of futility with this issue mm. Um, mm. and so I thought why don't we just ask people who are struggling with unwanted sexual behavior to tell us their story
0: so you did some research 3800 people for your yes. master's degree um, but let's just back up one second and say yeah. let's define unwanted sexual behavior yeah. I've Mentioned some pornography statistics, but that's not Mm -hmm. the only thing we're talking about. It's not
1: the only. So I define unwanted sexual behavior as basically any dimension of your sexual life that at the end of the day you wish was not part of it. Okay. Uh, So that could be the use of pornography, uh, infidelity, hookups, sexting, buying sex. Okay. Um, So it's, you know, most of the people when they first start looking at their sexual brokenness, they might initially say, I don't wanna fall into the addiction criteria, I don't think I'm an addict, but usually most people can look back over the course of their life and just see a lot of the debris of their sexual brokenness, Mm -hmm. from disrupting their marriage uh, to losing a job, a career, something that they care Mm -hmm. a lot about. And so that's basically what I'm inviting people into, is at the end of the day, it's more than likely that almost all of us (laughs) have some portion of our sexual life, our sexual fantasy life, that at the end of the day, we really wish we could find healing from. And right. so that's what I wanted to invite people into is basically let's get a sense of how your story is shaping the sexual behavior that you want to move away from.
0: Huh? And we talked about what happens when you mix your research findings, 3,800 people talking about the why, yep. with the power of an executive. What happens yes. when those two things get mixed together? Yes. Uh, And and so part of
1: what the the research looked at was uh, basically I invited people to tell me their whole story Mm -hmm. So their relationship with their parents formative experiences like trauma sexual abuse uh, And then what were people dealing with in the present whether they were an executive or not? So were they feeling stressed? Did they feel anxious? Did they feel like they had a lack of purpose? Were they dealing with a lot of futility in their career? And then I wanted to know how does our life story and the things that we're facing actually go on to shape our Hmm. brokenness? And what I can tell you is that what the research showed is that the specific fantasies that we put into the porn searches, the specifics of what we fantasize about is not random at all. It was Hmm. a direct reflection of the parts of our story that remain unaddressed. And so the implication of this is really huge. It's that our sexual brokenness is actually a roadmap to healing, not a life sentence to sexual shame. Mm. But if we want it to be a roadmap to healing, we actually have to put the problem in the foreground and say, this is kind of what I'm dealing with Mm. Um, as as an executive, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, of Mm. how do I begin to confront some of the realities of my life that at the end of the day i wish i could just kind of hide or suppress Mm -hmm.
0: let's say that again because you said something that i don't think i've ever heard anybody say ever our sexual brokenness or our sexual fantasies are a roadmap to healing yes wow that is incredible Mm -hmm. it seems like most people would say uh uh Let's put a big barrier between my history and now. Yes. And today I just need to stop. I just need to stop. I just need to stop. Yes. And it's not working. It
1: doesn't work. And yeah. so to me like this is where I'm I'm very much informed, you know, theologically of when you look at people in Genesis who find themselves in really difficult broken spaces. Mm-hmm. The presence of God pursues them and asks questions. So uh-huh. to Adam, who has just eaten of the fruit that he was commanded not to eat from, uh, you know, God doesn't say, "Adam, bounce your eyes from that next tempting piece of fruit." It uh-huh. says, "Adam, where are you? Uh, yeah. What who have you done?" You? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then to you know Jacob, who's been struggling his whole life with issues of identity, the Angel of the Lord wrestles him, and just kind of says you know, what is your name, which Mm -hmm. is the same, it's the question that he has not been able to answer his whole life Mm -hmm. around identity. And then we see this with Hagar too, where, um, you know, she has just been traumatized by the first family of the faith, and she's about to die in the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord appears to her and asks two of the best questions any of us could ever be asked, which are, Where do you come from and where are you going? Mm. And so the voice of God, if we're hearing it, is actually calling us to deeper reflection about how our sorrow and our sin came to be. Mm. So if we're in community, and if we're hearing the voice of God, that really should be the question is, where are you? Mm. You know, What have you done? Tell me where you come from and where you want to go. And so I think that that, that's part of the point of healing, is we need to become really curious about how our brokenness came to be, because right in the middle of the brokenness, there are clues into how to
0: find healing. Hmm. So let's talk about maybe an example of that. So I uh, Convene has hundreds and hundreds of executives across the country. Uh, Their days are full of the things that the world thinks are awesome, Mm -hmm. Uh, power... Uh, flying first class, great meals, hotels yes. overnight in foreign cities, yes. uh, telling people what to do. Yes. But the truth is executives are sometimes lonely. Uh, they're sometimes Often. anxious. <laughs> okay. yeah. Their days are full of conflict resolution. Yes, They're feeling huge pressure, overload, fatigue. Uh, and sometimes when that day uh Unfolds and is drawing to a close. An executive could feel that uh, they deserve a reward, mm-hmm. that they deserve a break. Yes. And in comes their good-looking uh, administrative assistant, and it's game over. It, it's an alone space that was mm-hmm. created that didn't have to be created. Talk about that—that that whole entitlement thing. Yes. Uh, so I
1: think of entitlement like a seesaw. So on if you were to think about a seesaw, a lot of us have eyes to see the kind of the the addictive compulsive choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we see. But the other side of that is actually the role of deprivation. And so deprivation, especially for an executive, that, that term might say, you know, I'm not really deprived in a lot of areas of my life. But as you just underscored, uh, when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling stressed, mm-hmm. uh, when you aren't taking care of yourself because you're too busy, you haven't invested in your family, Uh, You haven't maybe been to the dentist or the doctor for the last, you can't even remember the last time you went. Mm. Uh, That sense of deprivation is going to set up the compulsive choice. Mm. And so that's where, you know, just the language of Psalm 131, you know, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Mm. Um, And so how do executives, read, be mindful of what their bodies are experiencing, what dilemmas they're facing, and know how to regulate themselves when they're in a really difficult spot. And so if you're not aware of what your body is feeling and you're not aware of the complexity and difficulty that you're facing, there is going to be an immediate choice for unwanted sexual behavior, an affair, pornography, Uh, because it it allows you to feel some sense of entitlement and I can get exactly what I want when I want it because I I have the power to do so.
0: Right, right, right. And you talk in your book about one other thing that you just alluded to a little bit, the idea that futility and lack of purpose can lead to sexual failure. So how does that happen if I'm a company with the mission statement on the wall (laughs) and I just let everybody through a mission statement exercise but maybe do I have a personal lack of purpose, a personal lack of futility?
1: Yes, Yeah. so men in the research uh, were seven times more likely to increase their involvement with pornography for each unit of a lack of purpose that they felt. Personal purpose. Personal purpose. Wow. um, They looked back at their life and saw a lot of failures. Uh, They looked at some of their relationships and couldn't feel like they had the life that they wanted with their partner or with their careers. And when that was your story, your involvement with unwanted sexual behavior increased by a factor of seven. Wow. So I think part of, I mean, part of the uniqueness you had asked earlier just about basically the confluence of unwanted sexual behavior and... Power. Uh-huh. Um, one of the books that I brought with me that I think uh, I think part of my recommendation to executives would be to read these two books okay. side by side. So I'd highly i highly agree. And then uh, a book called Rising to Power. Uh-huh. Uh, and the authors of this are Ron Cruci and Eric Hansen. But they did a ten-year longitudinal study on over twenty-seven hundred executives. Uh, And very similar to Unwanted, they found that the problems that executives are facing are not random. So one of their findings was that over 60% of executives did not feel prepared for the strategic challenges that they had to face Mm -hmm. when they moved and were appointed to their uh, executive position. So some of the other research that we know on executives is that I believe it's somewhere in the range of 50 to 60% of executives will fail in their first 18 months. Huh. And so if you are an executive, it means that you are feeling some level of difficulty, incompetence, you're not making the right decisions, and so that, that, that load actually will have a very great effect on you. And so if you look at your business life, you look at your personal life, and you say, I'm not measuring up, I'm not kind of meeting the standards that I intuitively want to meet, one of the reasons why pornography becomes so appealing is that it gives you exactly what you want when you want it and nothing else on the planet offers you that.
0: So which is what? Let, let's talk about yeah. Let's talk about a hypothetical executive <laughs> that's traveling in a city away from home yes. that just had a tough day of uh, whatever they were doing. They were hiring, they were firing, they were yes. doing a strategy meeting, they were thinking all day long, they had f- 15 whiteboards filled up with story brand stuff or whatever they yeah. did was a lot. Yes. And it's now uh, 10 o'clock at night, they're tired, they're in the room, they flip on the television and it says, click here for the adult channel. Mm-hmm. They do, yeah. they watch a pornographic film and at the end of the time they're full of shame and mm-hmm. wish they hadn't have done it. What if we rewind the tape mm-hmm. to turning on the television, or leaving the day stressed, what would you say they could do differently, think differently? You asked some questions in your book, um, how do I get out of here? Mm -hmm. How could they play the tape in a different way? So, I mean, I think part of what I
1: I would say is that when you arrive in that hotel room, you need to check in with your body. So huh. how am I? How was my day? Um, okay. I, I had a really terrible day. Uh-huh. And so one of the things that we think about with regard to sexual brokenness is a lot of people use the language of, I'm just doing it to self-medicate or to escape. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, um, as one songwriter says, every gambler knows that to lose is what you're really there for. Uh-huh. And so most people know that if huh. they watch porn, if they have three or four drinks and then have some illicit behavior, they're going to feel terrible about who they are. Uh-huh. And so I think part of the re- how to engage that is to say, what if I didn't feel judgment at the end of a night? So I've been through a lot of stress. I've been through war today. What my body needs more than anything is comfort. Okay. Um, and so that's where, when I work with executives that travel quite a bit, part yeah. of what I tell them is, I want your senses alive. We always have some some choice, right? Um, and we can choose something that deadens ourselves and gives us the reinforcement of that judgment, or we can kind of begin to pursue something that brings rest and comfort to our oh. bodies. And wow. so that's wow. the invitation, is that y- you don't need to feel worse, you don't need to Contain your desire, but mm. I would say actually, like invite your body to goodness, mm. invite your body to to kindness and to really good soothing.
0: So it starts off when you walk in the hotel room. Yeah. To say I had a terrible day, kind of like kind of sure. like that Australia book yeah. for kids, right? Yes. I had an awful, terrible, no good day. I think I'm going to move to Australia. Yes. And so you exactly. say I had a bad day. I don't want to feel worse. Yes so I'm going to do some things to kind of treat myself to feel better, mm-hmm. and that might be even uh, call your spouse, call your kids, mm-hmm. uh, call a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know my pastor Rick Warren does not travel alone. Okay. Uh, so uh, do some things that would be kind of a treat to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, because yes. Yes. That, wow. I mean, that,
1: that's the point is that most of us when we are stressed, when we are not doing well, we actually pursue behaviors that reinforce that feeling. And so that, that's the main pivot that I want people
0: to make, is what if you actually pursued comfort? Why do people pursue something that would make them feel worse? What's the psychographic of that? Well, I, I think
1: that, that that's really this issue of shame, right? Mm-hmm. So when you are an executive, you have a lot of power, and yet you also feel some level of, if people really knew what I was doing, if people really knew how incompetent that I felt. That
0: I'm posing.
1: That I'm posing, that I'm an imposter, uh, they would see through it and then everything would crumble. And so if that's part of your identity, uh, you're going to pursue behaviors that reconfirm that that is your story. Right, and so, so let's,
0: let's pursue that. Yeah. Uh, if everybody knew I was a poser, if everybody knew I was incompetent, if everybody knew I felt like a failure, even though I just uh, did something great in front of a thousand people at the company meeting, but mm-hmm. if everybody knew the truth, so therefore tonight I will go to a strip club mm-hmm. or therefore tonight I will go to a massage parlor. Mm-hmm. How did, how did we, how did we miss a step along that journey?
1: Yeah. The the step being the same Well, the step, the
0: step being, uh, self talk yeah that helps me push eject to get me to a better place, Uh Yeah. right?
1: Yeah, and I think that that goes back to the important point that you raised at the beginning is most of us, when we're in a difficult spot, we pursue entitlement. Mm -hmm. So I think of unwanted sexual behavior a little bit like a river. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the primary tributaries that flows into that river of unwanted sexual behavior is certainly lust. Yeah. Uh, But what we haven't had language, especially in Christian circles to name, is that there is power and anger that plays out as well. And so if you're only trying to curb your porn use or your massage parlor pursuits with just I'm just going to stop lust, but you don't have language to see there's actually a lot of anger, there's a lot of desire for power that's funneling you towards that, Mm -hmm. you're going to set yourself up to continually fail because... Mm -hmm those parts of your life are actually left to fester and hiding. So this is the language of kind of James 4 is, you know, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, you desire, but you don't get what you want, mm-hmm. and so what do you do? You, you kill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what we need to have language to name, especially for people in leadership positions, is when you don't get what you want, you don't pursue healthy behaviors, but far more you actually aren't loving and kind to people around you. And so mm. I think if we can hold the complexity of, it's not only I who needs kindness, but how do we not exploit, how do we not use people in the midst of all the difficulties that we're facing? I think that will put us in a much better position to find something really healing instead of something that feels compulsive. Mm. Hmm.
0: So our sexual fantasies are a roadmap. Yes. We need to listen to our lust. Uh, I love what you said in your book. Efforts to eliminate lust set us up to manage our sex life with a tourniquet. Yes, that was that was yeah. a great a great quote. Yeah. Um, so, I
1: mean, with regard to listening to your lust, I know people people often are like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, what about? are you? We're talking supposed to about? flee lust. We're yeah. supposed to run from it. Yeah, um, and that was that was some of the research findings. Is we looked at. Uh, so one of the most common search for terms on the internet had to do with kind of teens or college students—a race that suggested to the to someone subservience, uh, a petite body type. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at what are the key drivers of someone's pursuit of that behavior, and what we found were that those men had three primary categories. They were dealing with a lot of lack of purpose in life. They had high levels of shame, and they had a strict father. Um, and so that becomes that thing is you can just kind of imagine what it's like to be that person sitting in front of their phone, their computer. Of it, They come from a family system where there was a lot of authority uh, that was used to kind of power over them. A lot of their own choice were taken away. They had to be subservient to an authoritarian father. And then they're dealing with a lot of difficulties in life. Um, and this is kind of the language of Genesis 3 where, you know, the curse for a man is thorns and thistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything that we do it is basically has some level of futility in it, like by the sweat of your brow, that mm-hmm. blood is going mm-hmm. to be your experience. And then in the midst of all that, we want to find relief. We want to yeah. find some arena of power to reestablish this difficulty that we're feeling. And so I yeah. think that that's that's the invitation of this book is to say your sexual brokenness and some of the specifics of what you're seeking out are actually reading your story and they're inviting you to heal some of these stories of, you know, maybe you have some wounds and some pain from childhood that needs to be addressed. Maybe they're, you know, as uh, you know, this book outlines, if you're feeling unprepared. Uh, part of what that crucible is, is you need to get a team around you to help you sort through some of the complexities and problems that you're Mm -hmm. facing. Because if you go into isolation, uh, you're just going to kind of set up your cycle of addiction. And Mm -hmm. so I think all these things that we're facing, are actually invitations to us to find deeper healing and deeper competency than we would have
0: originally chosen. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up Genesis 3, yeah. because I do think that a lot of people think that if I had a bad day, mm-hmm. that that could have been a good day, should have been a good day, and tomorrow should be a good day and could be a good day. And as a matter of fact, if every day was a good day, my life would be better. But that's not what it says in Genesis 3, right? The ground, and many people get this mixed up, they say uh, work is cursed, but work was never cursed, the ground was cursed. So if the ground was cursed, your iPhone might break, your car might uh, have a flash a uh, flashing light on the dashboard that says, yeah. engine malfunction, yes. your spouse might not be happy when you come home, your kids might have got a D in physics. That was me, by the way. <laughs> <In physical. laughs> but things aren't always going to work. And so yeah. when things aren't working as an executive, it's time for us to say, uh, that is because I'm living in a post-Genesis 3 world. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to some of the executives that are women who are listening today. Some of their issues are the same as men, no doubt about it, but some of them God has ordained that the issues they may be struggling with in unwanted temptation type behavior are different than men. Mm -hmm. Speak to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think part of what Genesis 3 outlines is that the curse for a man is much more about the ground. It's about work, the thorns and thistles. but the curse for a woman is really a relational curse. Hmm. Um, and so one of the statistics that really jumped out at me from this book, Rising to Power, is that 38% of executives felt like they were not prepared for the isolation uh, and some of the loneliness of their hmm. career. And so I think if we hold that the reality of if if you are a woman leading an organization, uh, extremely lonely, extremely hmm. isolated for you, um, and what my research looked at was that we found that about 30% of porn users are now women. Huh. Uh, and then we also found that women who felt like their needs were not met, like they were not pursued by significant people in their life, they were nearly five times more likely to pursue an affair. Wow. Um, and so I think that that's what we have to hold together is when you are an executive, a female executive at the top, and you have this experience of you know, just relational curse anyways of, do people love me? Are they going to pursue me? Um, are my needs even important because I'm checking out for everybody's needs, my family's, my organizations? What about me? Right. That's a really, really difficult crucible to undergo. And what happens with unwanted sexual behavior is that you outsource that to an affair or mm. to an unwanted sexual behavior. And the immediate feeling is, okay, I'm a little bit less alone because now I have someone that pursues me. But then at the end of the day, you feel more shame, you feel more isolated, and so the problem just keeps compounding. Hmm. And so I think that that's really the invitation, especially to women, is do you know your needs? I would say this to men as well, Mm -hmm. but do you know... Um, how isolated you are, do you feel lonely? And that's where I highly recommend that people just have a team of people around them, whether Mm -hmm. that's an executive coach, a licensed therapist, uh, and really the quality of your friendships to be able to say, do you have other people that are bearing some of these burdens with you? And how are you confronting some of your own loneliness in your career? Mm -hmm. So again, I don't think that this is, this isn't just an attempt to try and say there's something bad about what you've done, Um, But it's if you find yourself allured and seduced to unwanted sexual behavior, that should be like an indicator light on a dashboard that just Mm kind of says, there's something that's a little bit off. What if you pursued wholeness and connection uh, instead of unwanted sexual behavior?
0: Mm -hmm. So anything else you would say to women executives to look to the issues that might be unique to them? Mm -hmm. You talked about maybe loneliness being Mm -hmm. something that they would feel Uh, in a more uh, magnified way than men and so pursuing a relationship with somebody let me let me not say it that way let me say being alone for dinner with a male executive that reports to them Mm -hmm. where they talk about their life and they talk about their loneliness could be a gateway to failure Absolutely.
1: Yep. Uh, I mean, part of what we know from the research is that about one out of every three women have known, have had some history of sexual abuse, sexual assault in their mm. life. Um, and so I think part of what we have to name is that a lot of times the, the earliest sexual experiences for a woman are not chosen, they're not wanted. Mm. Um, and so what ends up getting established early in childhood and through sexual harm is basically violation it's shame and so Mm. what happens to a lot of women later in life is that they don't feel sexually alive um, unless there's some reenactment of that original harm and Mm. so that's that kind of interplay of if you find yourself seduced into you know, experiences that at the end of the day are gonna lead to more shame and isolation. Mm -hmm. As a therapist, part of what I need to ask you is where did your sexual story go offline Mm -hmm. that that's what you find most intimate and arousing? Mm. Um, And so not only is that not a wise decision, um, I think far more it's this invitation to kind of say uh, you're leading a company extremely well against so much adversity what if you actually took time for yourself to begin to heal some of the pain that might be driving you to make compromised decisions with your sexual life? Mm.
0: Can we talk a little bit about shame? Yes. Uh, A friend of mine who's a psychologist in Southern California, works with executives all the time, says the the holy grail of psychology is figuring out what to do about (laughs) shame. Sure. And Bruce McNichol would say almost the same thing with different words, right? The the author of the book True Faced and The Cure that when we figure out shame, we've really unlocked something that hasn't been uh, well unlocked. Uh, this same friend of mine said he's read a hundred books for his uh, doctorate in psychology and none of them figures out shame like the book The Cure. Mm. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, shame is
1: this, like, I mean, Brene Brown says it's this, like, painful experience that something about you is unworthy of love. Uh Um, And so most of us, when we even think about sharing a story from long ago, or even a story of, like, how you felt about yourself getting dressed this morning, Mm -hmm. have some experience of shame. Mm -hmm. And what happens in the midst of shame is that we, we end up living as prey to shame. And so you try to run away from its accusations. You try and hide the shame in the closet. And yet what the reality is, is that that sets you up to live as prey. Hmm. Um, and so what I kind of outline in Unwanted wow. is that if we want to address shame, what we need to do is to turn towards it and face it. Uh, and there's this fascinating interview by uh, this guy named Andy Casagrande, who's the videographer for the show Shark Week. Okay. So he films uh, you know, in cold Pacific oceans with great white sharks swimming at him. And they said, Andy, what in the world do you do when you're swimming with great whites? And he says, uh, it's counterintuitive, but you swim right at the shark with the camera. Uh Um, And so what he says is that, uh, you know, if you're a great white shark, everything in the whole entire ocean swims away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have something swimming towards you, it's like, what in the world is happening? Mm -hmm. And what happens is the shark bumps the camera realizes that it's not food and then has a defense mechanism of I don't know what this thing is and then it swims away Mm. and to me that has a lot to do to teach us about how to interact with shame is that most of us try and run from it Mm -hmm. but once we turn towards it and tell other people where we harbor it the power of shame uh is is reduced in our lives Mm. and so that's really the invitation is that you know you're going to feel shame often Mm -hmm. Um, But shame can also be a crucible for growth and it can be a place Mm -hmm. where you actually Invite good friends a therapist a mentor into some of those places where you harbor shame, right?
0: So speak to the executive who uh, they just had a shareholder meeting. They just had a board meeting They just had a tough meeting and it didn't go well And they walk out of the room and they get in their car and they say to themselves Wow i did not do that well Mm -hmm. what would a good next thought be instead of heading down a pathway that would be shame laced that might lead them to pornography or a massage parlor what could something be that they say to themselves when they say i did a horrible job
1: yeah so i mean i think I, i would i would invite them to do two things the first is to Uh, really recognize what didn't go well in their meeting to actually have some good rational thinking as to was I not prepared Uh, was there someone else in that meeting that actually saw me lead Um, and maybe I did terribly maybe I did really well but I need some other voice to kind of help me understand Mm -hmm. what happened there so
0: so you might call a friend and say how did I do
1: How did i do or i felt like i wasn't prepared for this and Mm -hmm. so how do i have some accountability the next time uh, to be really well prepared so that i'm not sabotaging the next big meeting right Uh, but the other kind of important thing is that you have to engage your limbic brain which is basically the emotional center so when we are around threat the brain does fight flight or freeze so Uh i want to kill someone because that didn't go well Uh um I want to run away from this, I never want to go into another meeting, or I just freeze and I feel some sense of paralysis. Mm -hmm. Part of what the research would show is that if you're able to find, basically if you're able to breathe eight times in one minute, Mm -hmm. uh, so a big inhale, pause for a couple seconds at the top, exhale, you will actually, send a message to your brain that says, all clear, everything is safe, you're Mm. gonna be okay. Mm. And so most of us, after we come out of a big meeting, are very dysregulated, and so that's the invitation to kind of do a body scan of saying, where am I tense? Where am I crunched Mm -hmm. over? What if I expanded my chest? What Mm. if I breathed? Uh, And Dan Siegel has this wonderful phrase that says, name it to tame it. Mm. Um, And so that's really, again, the invitation to say, there's something about me that's not well. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I kind of begin to find a, a food, a, a type of beverage that would actually begin to soothe me? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times that's when people just go to gin and tonics and more dissociative behaviors. Or ice cream. Or, or ice cream. <laughs> which, again, as we've talked about, like that will just reinforce the experience of shame. Uh-huh. And so that's that's the counterintuitive move that we need to make with shame yeah. is not run from it, not to pursue more behaviors that confirm that core belief, but really to say, I need comfort right now. And so this is Jesus' words of, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That a lot of us try and get through life without mourning, without grieving, without kind of feeling the experience of loss. Um, And that sets us up to find counterfeits all over the world. Yeah, and
0: I would add that if you're an executive that's trying to do good things for the kingdom of God, you're trying to love your employees, you're trying to serve them well, you're trying to um, be a friend to them on the journey, you're trying to pay them well, you're trying to create a place where they can find hope and meaning and purpose Monday to Friday, yeah. and then you have a bad board meeting and you feel terrible, mm-hmm. no doubt about it that Satan is going to go after your mind and yeah. say, you're not doing well. Yes. And we need to take that biblical uh, technology, that biblical verse that says, cast down vain imaginations yeah. and go attack that, as you mm-hmm. just said, and say, no, I, I'm okay. And call your spouse and head for a great dinner or yeah. go to the beach and go for a walk. But don't say... Yes, it was a terrible meeting, and I need to reward myself by massage parlor, by buying a magazine I shouldn't, by uh, sexting, by uh, taking my um, negative pathway really to destruction. So yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. and I I mean, as you as you mentioned, evil. I mean that John ten ten, like the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Yeah, and that. You know that that uh, the word to destroy is really the sense of mar. And so one of my colleagues will talk about uh, basically the work of evil is to go into an art museum, find a Picasso or a Van Gogh, it, and then just run a knife through it. Yeah, um, it's that sense of wanting to mar something beautiful. And I think that that's the um, that's what so many of us face when we're in difficulty um, is that the thief wants to kill us, wants Mm. to destroy, wants to mar something really beautiful about our leadership, wants to mar something really beautiful about our sexuality. And so that becomes part of this kind of offense, to go on the offensive to say, I don't want some of the most beautiful and vulnerable parts of me, which are my ability to lead others Mm -hmm. and my sexuality to be marred just because Mm. I I had a really bad day. Mm. Um, And so that's the, the, That, I think, is part of what the gospel is all about, is come unto me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. Um, I want to give you rest. And so that's really the invitation, is where can you find rest in the midst of the difficulties that you're Mm -hmm,
0: facing? mm -hmm. Great. So we're inviting executives to not choose this counterfeit path, Mm -hmm. which is interestingly way, way, way more available today than it was a hundred years ago yes i mean if you think about it um, i love what randy alcorn says Um, if i invited you said hey jay i know there's a neighbor of mine that's having sex tonight Mm -hmm. and we can watch them do that through the window and you would say we're not doing that and you'd say i was crazy yeah but what happens often is we go to an r-rated movie and watch that very thing because it can happen through the technology of movies and alcorn would say that wasn't true a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. So the availability of uh, the internet, web sexting, live webcams, all this stuff has made what wasn't available before very available now as a destructive choice. And we're calling executives, you're calling executives uh, through your book Unwanted to say, wait, stop, figure out why this is happening, Mm -hmm. figure out that your lust can be a roadmap, and stop rewarding yourself with things that are just gonna cause more shame. Exactly, yep. Uh,
1: And and the last thing that I'll say about just this book, Rising to Power Again, is that they they wanted to understand basically what power failure was. And they found that it went into two categories, either the classic leader that is really intimidating, that is toxic, that's authoritarian, Uh, But what they found was that that wasn't the greater power failure among most executives. The greater power failure was actually the abdication of power. Mm. Uh, So they were indecisive. They were overly accommodating of poor performance. Um, And I think unwanted sexual behavior becomes that as well, is that if you abdicate your responsibility and your integrity, you're going to set yourself up for sexual failure and for also business failure. And so Mm. I think that... I mean, this is the way that our lives speak to us is that if you're dealing with brokenness and abdicating integrity in your sexual life, very, very likely that you're also abdicating responsibility in your business life. And so that's the confluence of healing is that we actually need to use our power and our positions much more efficiently and with more integrity than we currently do.
0: Maybe speak to the executive who says, I've been struggling I've been memorizing Bible verses. Uh, I'm in an accountability group. I put a management system on my computer. I've been at it for 10 years, what could they do? And um, if going to one of your websites is a great idea, just bring it on. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the first
1: thing that I would say is like, when we are in the ruts of our unwanted sexual behavior, the story that's always at the forefront of our minds is our shame and our failure. Mm. And when that is the story that is in the forefront of our mind, we often think that all God wants from us is just kind of compliance and obedience. And so we project onto God this, it basically this understanding that maybe you're just the board of directors that's disappointed in me, waiting for me to turn this whole thing around. But the reality is, is I mean, God's face is turned towards us with kindness. Mm-hmm. And that invitation is actually to unbelievable transformation. Like, like God doesn't invite us to suppress our desire. He's actually inviting us to, I mean, he gives us the keys to his entire kingdom saying, mm-hmm. where do you want to go mm-hmm. with this one beautiful, stunning life that you have? And so I think that would be the first thing is like, if, if you've tried a lot of tourniquet stuff, you've tried a lot of suppression of desire. Mm-hmm. The reason that doesn't work is because the way that our hearts are made are for beauty and for desire. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to begin there that our, our desire, our sex, life. Um, these are really beautiful and good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so beyond that, I think part of what I would say is just as our unwanted sexual behavior is not random, the journey to freedom is not random either. And mm-hmm. so that was part of writing this book, uh, but also I created a basically an 18-episode e-course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that with the Heart of Man film, uh, to basically invite people to understand how their story is shaping their sexual choices. So this is a five month journey uh, that people can go through. And I also created a uh, unwanted sexual behavior self-assessment that's Mm -hmm. on my website. And so you complete the survey, it's about 160 questions that covers a lot of things from your, yeah. basically yeah. the stories that you don't want to talk about. Yeah. And then says, how, how do all these things actually shape your involvement with unwanted sexual behavior? Mm-hmm. So it's going to give you a 40 page report that basically reads your life wow. and says, here are the connections. So that's part of the course as well. Um, and that's what we're finding is that, you know, through five months, six months, find another executive, find someone else in your convene groups to go through this with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'll be really surprised at what you find because mm-hmm. that, that's most of us try to change just through behavioral stuff uh, rather than really understanding our story and mm-hmm. why we make the decisions that mm-hmm. we make. So uh, that course is called Journey uh, into the heart of man and people can find that at www.heartofmanjourney.com okay. or my website is jay-stringer.com.
0: Great. Well, yeah. thanks, for, thanks for that. And um, it's been just a joy to be with you here in uh, Seattle. Yeah. And I just wish you all the best as you continue to make things happen hmm. in an area that I'm sure... Uh, you probably have um, a couple people who thought maybe your approach was not like quite what they heard before. But I just want to encourage you and say, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, executives from coast to coast and around the world needed. I'm sure you're hearing from them. But keep doing what you're doing. And we're uh, raving fans of what you're doing at Convene. Thank you so much. Such an honor and just delight to be with you today.